Let me draw your attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, first 10 verses. John 7, 1 through 10. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast, I am not yet going up, for my time has not yet fully come. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Thank you, John. Have you ever been misunderstood? Maybe it was a time where you did something nice for someone, but for whatever reason, uh, the person you were trying to bless, they completely misunderstood your motives. In, in fact, maybe they accused you of having an ulterior motive in trying to be nice. Or maybe you said something. Maybe you were complimenting someone, or you thought you'd been clear, and you thought that your compliment had been genuine, but for whatever reason, the person that you were interacting with, they heard something completely different from what you said. Frustrating? Yes. Uh, Enough to make you angry? Sometimes. Uh, Enough to make you sometimes feel like your head is just going to explode? Possibly. And I begin there this morning because most of us can think of times in our lives where we've we've endured the frustration of feeling like people just don't understand us. And I wonder how many times as Jesus is going through His ministry, I wonder how many times He's dealing with those same kinds of frustrations where people, they're not understanding. Now, like Him or not, the people who met Jesus during His ministry, they understood He's not just some ordinary man. And we talked about that last week as we looked at Matthew chapter 14. We looked at a day in His life and we were focused on His ministry, the things that He was doing, the way He was taking care of people. We looked at all of those sorts of things. But see, the question on everybody's mind is the same. Who is this guy, really? There's a lot of confusing talk going on. Some of the people that are interacting with Jesus, they legitimately do not know who He is. Some are thinking, well, this might be the Messiah. I'm I'm looking at what I think I've been told, what I've read about the guy that's going to come, and this looks a lot like Him. This might be Him. Some firmly believe that this is the Christ. And of course, then there is the Jewish leadership, the the establishment. Their purpose in life is to do everything they can to suppress this guy, to to squelch anything that he says. So when Jesus talks, they're going to do everything they can to minimize what he said. They're purposefully blind to Jesus. And so it's no wonder uh, that the answers to the who is Jesus question, they're kind of all over the board. And so in John chapter 7, that's where we're going to spend our time. The reading introduces us to the idea that it is the Feast of Booths that's going on. 
And, and Jesus ends up going. He doesn't go publicly, as the text says. He, he lets his family go up first, and he follows them later as if in secret. That's verse 10. But our purpose today, as we think about the things going on in John 7, is to look at what's going on, the who is Jesus question. What are people saying then? What is Jesus going to say about himself as he begins to build the case for who he is? What can we learn from all of that? The crowds are discussing Jesus. Uh, when, when they get together, there's, there, there, there's all these discussions going on. And when you read verse 12 of, of John 7, you get some insight. The, the Bible there says there was much grumbling among the crowds concerning Him. Some were saying He's a good man. Others were saying no. On the contrary, He leads people astray. The New American Standard uses the word grumbling, but there might be some better words in other translations to help us really understand. Now, they are kind of going back and forth at each other, but some translations use the term, uh, the phrase, the, the people are muttering. Some translations use the term, the, the people are murmuring. There's a murmuring about Jesus. Some of uh, the translations say that they're talking secretly about Him. Another translation says uh, that they're whispering. But then verse 13 says, yet no one is, is, is openly speaking about him because of fear of the Jews. In other words, we're having a discussion, but we don't want to be heard by the Jewish leadership because there might be ramifications for that. I think Kaufman comes up with a pretty good summary of what likely is going on as all of this unfolds. This is what he said. He said, Christ's name was upon all lips. His mighty deeds were the biggest news in, that ever had happened in Jerusalem. The people loved Him, the leaders hated Him, and conversation buzzed all over the city. But if any of the Pharisees appeared, the conversations ceased. So I believe that, that statement from uh, Brother Kaufman, it helps us understand verse 12. It helps us understand these whisperings, these talks that are going on. And so what is it that's going on with Jesus? I mean, if, it's, if there are a hashtag that day, the hashtag's going to be, who is Jesus? And He's going to be trendy. Well, verse 12, one of the, the, the responses from the people, uh, a number of the folks are saying, well, Jesus is a good man. And you think about what the, the, the common person is seeing, you think about what the common person is hearing from Jesus. You think about the experience of the common person as they see Jesus in His ministry. He's the guy in His teachings. He's the one that's come up with the golden rule. He's a friend of the poor. He's a friend of the downtrodden. He's the guy who has time seemingly for anyone who comes to Him for help with legitimate intent. He's got time for everyone. He's even exposing the hypocrisy of, of the Jewish leadership. You're looking at Jesus and you're hearing Him teach and you're, you're seeing that He's talking about the law of God and then you're comparing Him to the, the leaders that you've been dealing with and you, you can see their hypocrisy. And so it's no wonder that many of the people are going to love Him. And so some of them are saying, well, He's a good man. But see, it's not just a question of whether He's a good man. The real question is, is Jesus more than just a man? More than just a good man? 
As verse 12 says, there are others who are going to come right back and argue. I may say he's a good man, but others are going to come right back and argue and say, well, no, he leads people astray. He fools the people is the contention of some. You may have noticed it in the reading of the first ten verses this morning. As Jesus' brothers are preparing to go up to the feast, they're almost taunting Jesus. Why don't you go up? Why don't you do these things? You know, they don't believe in Him. His own family isn't believing in Him. We live in a world where sometimes religious leaders fool people. Obviously, the critics of Jesus, they would want to spread that message. They don't want it out there that that what Jesus is doing is legitimate. And they don't want it out there that what He's doing is real. They need to, to squelch that message. The Jewish leaders, they're losing power because of this guy. And so getting people to believe that Jesus is a deceiver until they can kill Him, that's their only hope. But think about what the followers of Jesus would become. People who bought into Jesus' teachings and began to follow Him, they didn't become lunatics. Uh, He made people better. He made them better physically. He made them better spiritually. He never turned His followers into murderers. Now, during the Lord's Supper, I was reading in John this morning, and I, I happened across the passage where as Jesus is arrested, Peter strikes the guard's ear, and, or the, the servant of the guard's ear, and cuts his ear off. There was, you know, Peter is violent in the moment, and, and Jesus immediately says, no, we're not about violence. He didn't, his followers weren't violent people. He taught his followers to love. And His miracles were undeniable to those who witnessed them. Around 120 A.D., years later, a historian... Now, this is not a guy who's inspired. This is a guy who simply records history. His name was Quadratus. He writes to an emperor named Hadrian... And this is what the historian says in 120 A.D. He says, "...the works of our Savior were lasting, for they were genuine. Those who were healed and those who were raised from the dead were seen not merely while our Savior was on earth, but also after His death, they were alive quite a while so that some of them lived even to our day." In other words, in 120 A.D., this historian is saying we've still got people on the scene today who were either healed by Jesus or who were raised by Jesus. They're still walking around. That's who Jesus was. He wasn't leading people astray. Well, there's another group of folks and they were saying, well, Jesus, He has a demon. And you've got to understand how we might say that in 2016. They were saying to Jesus after Jesus made a statement, they were saying, Jesus, you're crazy. Jesus, you are out of your mind. What you're saying is just crazy talk. Their way of saying it was, well, Jesus, you you must have a demon. Now remember verse 1 of chapter 7 that's already been read. It reminds us that the Jewish leadership, they have a plot already in place. They want to kill Jesus. They want Him dead. And one author said about this that the plot to kill Jesus, it it lay like a a poisonous gas over Jerusalem during this feast. There's something in the air. There's unrest. 
And so while some are calling him a good man and some are calling him a deceiver, others end up telling him that he's out of his mind. Well, what would set that up? Well, notice in chapter 7, notice verse 19. Jesus is addressing the, the Jews, especially the leadership, and he said, Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why then do you seek to kill me? you got to remember, one of the things that was fashionable was for them to look at Jesus and Jesus might heal someone on the Sabbath. And they would accuse Him of violating the law of Moses. And so He's coming right back at them. You know, you claim the law of Moses. You're all about having some Moses, but you really don't live out what the law of Moses stated. And so then he asks, well, why would you want to kill me? Well, when they they hear that, you've got people saying, well, you're crazy, man. Nobody wants to kill you. They had violated the law of Moses. Or when it was inconvenient, they found ways around it. For a Sabbath, you were supposed to rest. You weren't supposed to work. And so uh, they'd established that on the Sabbath, you could walk seven-eighths of a mile without violating the law of God. And so when that was inconvenient for some of the Jews, they would walk seven-eighths of a mile. They would stop and have a little snack that they had put there ahead of time. And then by doing that, they, they would walk some more and they would claim that each time they stopped for a snack, they were changing their residence. And by that, they created created this loophole so that even on you know even back then on Saturday people had places to go and things to do and you had to find a way around the law and it's as ridiculous as it sounds and so Jesus says hey you don't keep the law and all I'm trying to do is what's right and you want to kill me well some in the crowd some of the common they don't know about the plot to kill Jesus. And so they may hear that statement and say, we love you. You're crazy. We don't want to kill you. But if you're in on it, if you know about the plot, you're going to be in denial mode. And of course your response is going to be, well, nobody wants to kill you. The truth about Jesus is undeniable. He won the admiration of people from all levels of society. Even though some of them kept their admiration secret, some of them still had a fear about what the repercussions might be. People from all levels of society admired Him. But thankfully, the other thing that's going on in John chapter 7 is as Jesus is interacting with people during this feast, He's making some statements about Himself. And I want to spend just a few minutes noticing some of the things that Jesus said about Himself. As He, as he makes the case, as He defends who He is, one of the things He's going to tell the people in speaking about Himself, He's going to say, He is true and there's no unrighteousness in Him. See, Jesus has arrived at the temple at the feast. He's gone into the temple to teach. Uh, The Jews, they're listening to him teach. They're astonished and they're even saying to each other, wow, this guy, I don't know how he's doing this. He's not educated. Where does he get this stuff? And Jesus' response to them is, hey, the things that I'm bringing to the table, the things that I'm talking about, they're not mine. I'm getting them from the one who sent me. That's where these things come from. And see, this is one of the things that infuriated the Jews. 
Because what Jesus is doing is He's claiming a connection to God that they don't even have. And what He's doing is He's cutting them right out of the loop. He's turned the Jewish leadership into useless middlemen. There's no need for them if He's connected directly to God. Notice verse 16 of John 7. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but is is His who sent me. If anyone is willing to do His will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. saying, look, if, if you were really trying to follow God, if you really were trying to do His will, you'd know that what I'm saying is legit. You'd know that it's from God. And for all the common people, he's setting up this contrast between himself and between those they've been having to listen to up until he's arrived. And it's in this very next verse that he's then going to call them out for not keeping the law of Moses and asking, you know, you don't keep the law. Why in the world would you want to kill me? Another thing that Jesus says about himself, he's going to say, I know him, talking about God, I am from him, and he sent me. It's hard to imagine the scene. The confusion, the murmuring, you know, the crowd moving to and fro, seeing what's up next, and all the sidebar discussions going on. And had we had smartphones in those days, everybody would have had their phone kind of out and ready because if something actually happens, we're going to be ready to video this. I mean, you've got unrest in the air. Notice verse 25 of John 7. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying... Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out. You know, I don't know if he's emotional at this point. I don't know if he's trying to get his voice up above the din and the murmuring. But it says he cries out in the temple teaching and saying, You both know me and you know where I'm from and I have not come of myself, but he who has sent me is true whom you do not know. That's a real gig at the Jews. God who sent me, God who you claim, you don't even know God. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. The third thing Jesus says, He's going to say, I'm going to Him who sent me. Many of the crowd, by now, they're believing in Him. And even though they don't completely understand Him, some are likely unwilling to say it out loud because of the Jewish leaders. And so, notice the next thing. Notice verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him, talking about the Jewish leadership, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? In other words, we look at what's been prophesied, we looked at what's supposed to be here, and we're comparing that with what we're seeing, and this looks like the guy to us. And so then Jesus responds. Notice verse 33. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I'm with you, then I go with to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. 
And now the leadership, they go back on their crazy talk. Then Jews, then the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? You know, they're back on the idea, Jesus, you are out of your mind. We don't know what you're talking about. But then there's one more in chapter 7, kind of the big one. Jesus is going to say, I'm the source of living water. Notice verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Again, he's, he's, he's emotional. He's trying to get His voice heard. He cries out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Does that sound like one of the invitation songs that we sometimes sing? That's actually a great call to worship song also. There's a fountain free. He says, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from His innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And I love what John does here by inspiration. John gives us the meaning. John gives us some commentary. He says in verse 39, But this He spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And the result, when you start reading in verse 40, the crowd is still confused. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is He? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem? They hadn't checked the history on Jesus. So a division occurred in the crowd because of Him. As we finish, I want to mention the next chapter. We're not going to read it all. But if you haven't had the opportunity to read John chapter 8, when you have some time, read that chapter because Jesus is going to go on building the case, making claims about Himself. In chapter 8, He's going to talk about being the light of the world and offering light to the person who's willing to walk in Him. He's going to say in John chapter 8, I testify about Myself, and My Father who sent Me testifies about Me. He's going to make an upper story, lower story statement in chapter 8. He's going to say, you are from below, I am from above. You are of the world, I am not of this world. In chapter 8 verse 24, He's going to say, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. In verse 28, He's going to say, when you lift up the Son, you'll know that I am He. He's he's talking about the kind of death that He's going to die. In verses 31 and 32, He's going to say, if you continue in My Word, you truly are My disciples. In verse 42, He's going to say, I've come from God. He sent Me. In verse 54, He's going to say, it is My Father who glorifies Me. But then in verse 58... It's going to reach a crescendo because Jesus is going to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And it's at that point they pick up the stones to try to throw at him and he he gets away because at that point he's being very clear, being very plain. I'm from God. God is my Father. In fact, I am deity. Had we been there, on that day, during that feast, during that day after the feast, 
would, which group would we have been in? Who would we have been siding with? Would we have been those people with open minds and open hearts, the one who are looking at Jesus and listening to Him teach and looking at how He lives and comparing that to what the Bible said would be the Son of God and holding the two up against each other and saying, the evidence points out the idea that this is He. Would we have been unsure? Would we have been believing in Him but been so fearful of the repercussions? Would we have been some of those folks who were scared of what the Jewish leadership might do to us if we openly professed that we were following Jesus? Or would we have been like His own family? Would we have been cynical? Would we have been some of the folks who were, you know, I don't believe in you. And the reason I ask all of those questions is because just like for those people in that day, Jesus was bringing them all to a crossroads. He was bringing them all to the place where they had to make a decision. Are you going to accept me or are you going to reject me? That's why He says, if you don't believe that I'm He, you will die in your sins. And Jesus demands the very same response from each of us today. It's either accept Him for who He is buy into Him all in or reject Him and be all out. Jesus leaves no room in the middle. He's not the moderate middle. There's no... uh, And the thing is, when we read about Him and we come to that crossroads, if I don't accept Him today, I'm rejecting Him today. It's just as simple as that. So the question is, will we recognize Jesus as God's Son... Will we accept Him? Will we allow Him to repurpose us for His work? Or will we learn a list of facts about Him and walk away unchanged? And that's important because His work is finished. We're we're heading to the cross. We're going to be at the cross just in the next couple of weeks. And so He'll go to the cross and He'll be raised again. And in one sense, His work will be complete. But see, His mission is not... And so where are you today? Do you need to make a decision about Jesus today, believing in Him so that you will not die in your sins? Are you ready to surrender to Him? Are you ready to obey Him? Do you need to be baptized into Him for the remission of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Do you need to do what those folks did in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost? Most of us in the room are Christians. We have committed to Him. We've we've accepted Him. We've surrendered to Him. But have we fallen into living in fear? Living in fear that if, hey, if I'm too committed, it may cost me something in this life. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Him today. If we can help you in any way today, let it be known while we stand and while we sing.